Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Yankee Stadium in the Bronx. It's the New York Yankees 8, the Cleveland Indians nothing. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field. The thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And this one was a terrible game to watch. I mean, the Indians just got demolished in this one. It was close for a while. Plesak kept us in the game for a while, but the Yankees blow it open with four in the seventh, two more in the eighth, and they really run away with this thing. Eight runs on 11 hits. The Indians nothing on four hits. It's a pretty rough one if you're a Cleveland Indians fan. So let's get into the details of this game because, of course, the Indians are facing former All-Star former Cy Young winner, former ace of the Cleveland Indians staff, Corey Kluber, who's finally back healthy on the mound. Uh, We didn't see him earlier in the season. We finally get to see him for the first time pitching against us, and he pitched really well. He pitched really well. Uh, Luckily, Zach Plesak on the other side, the only thing we could say about Zach Plesak is at least he didn't have to face a no-hitter. Right, Jose Ramirez gets an infield single in the first inning with two outs, uh, legs out a grounder, so at least Plesak didn't have to deal with another no-hitter on the opposite side. All right, so what were the storylines of this game? Well, facing former your former teammate. I mean, that was the big storyline of this game. And frankly, Kluber did not disappoint. He goes six innings, four hits, no runs, two walks, four strikeouts, No home runs allowed on 95 pitches. He was only hard hit twice. Only hard hit twice on 95 pitches. It wasn't vintage Kluber that we're used to. Um, I mean, we're used to him racking up like double-digit strikeouts. He's obviously late in his career. He's going to have to adapt as a pitcher. You know, when these guys get this late in their career, I was thinking about this. I'm surprised that guys like Kluber are so determined to hang in there as starters. Very few of them seem to be able to hang in as starters. I'm surprised these guys don't go go to bullpen rolls, right? I'm, who wouldn't love Corey Kluber coming out and pitching two innings out of their bullpen right now? Uh, it's very few guys can really make I'm thinking like Adam Wainwright. Like very few guys can make it work as a starter and pitch, you know, 30 starts when they get that late in their career. But hey, I mean, Kluber, Kluber's hanging in there, and he's finally, hopefully, healthy. And, you know, if he can make a run for a few years as a starter still, good luck to him, right? Absolutely good luck to him. I went over to Fangraphs because I wanted to see, you know, what pitches is Kluber throwing these days compared to what he used to throw when he was in Cleveland? And he has come down on the fastball a little bit. So he used to be up in the 50% with his fastball. Um, at the end at the end of his Cleveland Indians career, it's down in the 40s. He's down at 30.7% fastballs this season. Obviously, the velocity is down. He's averaging 90.6 miles per hour, where he was up averaging 92, 93 with his fastball. But yeah, come on. You can expect that. How old is Kluber right now, by the way? 35 years old. Okay. So uh, what else here? Uh, Oh, I scrolled away from it. Now I got to get back to it. So the other pitch mix here, um, his curveball obviously was a weapon for him. 
He's only throwing it about 15% of the time, 19% of the time. That 2017 season, he jumps up to 27% of the time. Uh, now with the Yankees, he's at 28.7%. So throwing the curveball more than he had. In fact, he threw the curveball more than any other pitch last night. The one thing that really stands out here is he's throwing, uh, he's always thrown the cutter a lot. He's always thrown the cutter in the mid-20% range. Um, the changeup, he had never thrown the changeup this much since the 2012 season. Uh, he's always been in single digits with his changeup. I mean, in the height of his powers, he was throwing it around 4, 5, 6%. Now he's up to 13.7% changeups. So, there's a little bit of a difference, right? Less fastballs, way more off-speed stuff. Yeah, that's kind of what you would expect from a guy in his mid-30s. So he throws the curveball 31 times, throws the cutter 31 times, only throws that two-seam sinker 16 times, and the changeup 16 times. All right, one four-seam fastball, sure. I'm guessing, if you see one like that, I'm guessing that's an outlier from, uh, you know, StatCast. Here, CSW numbers on the day, the curveball was working for him, 35% CSW, so was the cutter, 42% CSW on those pitches. Lots of swing and miss from the curve and the cutter. It's good for a 33% CSW total on the day, so Kluber was locked in. As far as those strikeouts go, if we jump back over to the illustrator here, I always love seeing where he's getting those strikeouts, uh, especially because the Indians, who love striking out so much, and it was surprisingly on the cutter and the curveball. He got um, Bobby Bradley on a nice, tight cutter, pounding him inside. Uh, That was in the fourth inning. He also got Miles Straw to chase a cutter way outside on a 2-2 count in the third inning. I don't know what Miles Straw is seeing here. There's no way that pitch even started in the strike zone. Uh, Bobby Bradley's at least started in the strike zone and then cut under his hands. This one, Miles Straw is just flailing at. Uh, He gets Fermil Reyes to chase a curveball on a 3-2 count in the fourth inning. That one was pretty close to the strike zone, but still out of the strike zone. And Bradley Zimmer chasing a curveball way in at his feet. Uh, Again, what are you swinging at? Bradley Zimmer. So I believe that was in the first inning. Yeah. I mean, Kluber was pounding the lefties inside the cutter and the curveballs to the right edge of the plate, just pounding the lefties inside and making those righties go and chase pitches away. He clearly had a spot that he was attacking last night. He'd throw the change up pretty much anywhere, but the curve and the cutter were definitely coming to the outside edge of the plate here. So Great job by Corey Kluber. Great job pitching against us. Uh, had a plan of attack. Knew what he could do, especially against those lefty hitters. And pretty much dominated this whole game. Like I said, hard hit twice the entire game. I mean, the Indians only have four hard hit balls at all this game. Now, they had chances. They had chances to break things open against Corey Kluber. They had situations where they had runners on first and second to start an inning with nobody out twice. And it was Roberto Perez and Andres Jimenez who were getting it done. Perez starts the third inning with a single. One of the hard hit balls, 104 miles per hour. Andres Jimenez gets hit by a pitch. Frankly, I'm not sure Andres Jimenez would have you know, come back in this at bat, but he gets hit by a pitch. Then Miles Straw would strike out. 
Bradley Zimmer flies out, and Jose Ramirez grounds out to end things. Oh, 95.2. Were those the two hard-hit balls? I guess they were. 95.2 mile-per-hour ground out. So, that ends the threat there. Uh, what was his first hit? Yeah, his first hit was weak. It was only 85.1 miles per hour. So, that was the third inning. Then those guys come up again in the fifth. In the fifth, they have another chance. Roberto Perez would walk. Andres Jimenez with a weak single, 67.3 miles per hour. But Miles Straw, grounder up the middle into a double play, and Bradley Zimmer grounds out to end the threat. So, once again, the last two guys in the lineup, twice in this game, they get on base with nobody out, and you can't bring them in. That is a failure by the offense there. Corey Kluber, it's not like he was, you know, dominating with the strikeout here. He's getting balls in play, and he's getting outs. So it's just good pitching by Corey Kluber, getting weak contact. The contact in this fifth inning, the single from Jimenez is 67.3. Straw double play is 57.4. And the Bradley Zimmer ground out is 55.9. Just getting weak contact. Jose Ramirez even walks to start the six. And then Vermeil Reyes grounds into a double play before Bobby Bradley flies out to end things. Good approach by Bobby Bradley going opposite field. Uh, he just flared it and just got under it and hit a nice easy fly out. So, I mean, the Indians are 0 for 6 with runners in scoring position. That's really all you need to know about their offense. I mean, there was nothing. They go 1-2-3 in the 7th, 1-2-3 in the 8th, and 1-2-3 in the ninth. They don't even put up a fight in this one. So, it's a pretty weak offensive day. Now, on the other side of things. Oh, the Yankees love hitting home runs. It's what they do, and my God, did they unload on the Cleveland Indians in this game. They would have, Gallo would have two home runs. Judge would add a home run. Brett Gardner hits a home run, the big one that blew the game open. And Giancarlo Stanton adds an insurance run. Five home runs for the New York Yankees in this game. Let me just tell you, I looked up the season splits for the Yankees. They are absolutely crushing Indians pitching in uh, five games against us. The only teams they have higher OPSs against, remember on base percentage plus slugging percentage, are the Twins and the Royals. They're 918 OPS against the Twins, 874 against the Royals, and then 832 against us. So absolutely dominating against the Central Division. Slugging percentage, it's the Minnesota Twins. They're slugging 563 against them, 511 against the Phillies in a four-game set, and then they're slugging 500 against us. So really pounding Indians hit pitching. I'm surprised uh, that actually the home run count isn't higher against us. Because I remember they were hitting home runs against us when they were in Cleveland. Um, 14 home runs they've hit on the Indians this season. They've hit 15 off Tampa Bay, who they've played so many more times. 16 games against Tampa Bay, against five against us. They've hit 16 against the Twins, uh, 18 against the Blue Jays, in interleague play, they've hit 31 home runs against the entire National League in 20 games. Against the Baltimore Orioles in 19 games, they've also hit 31 home runs. So you can imagine how the Baltimore Orioles feel uh, compared to us. So we'll see if by the end of this series, what those OPS and home run and slugging numbers look like, because it doesn't show any signs of slowing down. These guys were just absolutely locked in. Now, Plesak, oh boy, you could say he was pitching to contact. He was hard hit 12 times on this game. 
95 plus mile per hour exit velocity, 12 times in six innings pitched. My God, that is getting lit up. Uh, His final line on the day, six innings pitched, seven hits, five earned runs, one walk, six strikeouts, and two home runs allowed on 93 pitches. Now, I got to say one thing about Plesek is those two home runs were solo home runs. So he was keeping us in the game there, but he definitely was missing his spots. In the second inning, he left a fastball up that Joey Gallo absolutely destroys. Just a nice, easy pitch right down the middle up that he could elevate and Gallo absolutely destroys it. And then in the fourth inning, Judge gets him. Frankly, it wasn't a terrible pitch. It was out over the plate. But uh, Judge goes out and gets this thing and lifts it in the center field. And he's got the power to do that. Um, Go a little bit opposite field for the big righty. And uh, Judge puts up a solo home run in the fourth. Now, he would get into trouble in the seventh. So the Indians would go to Nick Wickren out of the bullpen to face Brett Gardner. How does that work out? Well, on the third pitch, he puts one right down the pipe. And Gardner pulls it to the short porch in right field for a three-run home run. So it doesn't go well. Does not go well. Uh, the other home runs and the other scoring would come uh, later in the eighth inning. Uh, Giancarlo Stanton would get one. This was off of uh, uh, J.C. Mejia, who would come in in relief. And, uh, you know, Mejia did pretty good in relief earlier in the season. And, you know, still has that wicked slider. Well, this one missed the mark. Giancarlo Stanton, this was supposed to be a slider down in a way. This didn't even make it to the inside corner of the strike zone. But Giancarlo Stanton decided to do him a favor and turn on it anyways. So he misses his target by about the width of the plate. And Stanton delivers it into the seats in left field for a home run. And then Joey Gallo follows it up. Why not one more home run? He gets a fastball and the lefty pulls another one. For a second home run of the day. So those were all the home runs. And they were just absolutely. If we go over to the illustrator. They were absolutely just lighting up. Indians pitching with these home runs. Police X2 were right down the middle. Nick Wickren's was right down the middle. And then uh, JC Mejia's was just missing his targets. Frankly it wasn't a terrible pitch to Gallo. You know it was a. It was a forcing fastball that he was trying to throw to outside to him. And uh, that's just some good hitting by Gallo. And Stanton, he just absolutely missed the target. All right. Uh, the Indians pitchers did do an okay job of getting strikeouts. I will give uh, Zach Plesak credit. His slider was really working for him. He got five strikeouts on that slider, whether it's a lefty or a righty chasing. Uh, he got Giancarlo Stanton twice to chase that slider down and away. Uh Away, not down. It was actually up and away. Uh, he got Higashioki to uh, swing through a slider. He got Aaron Judge to chase a slider down at the bottom edge of the zone. And he got Glaber Torres to go out of the zone against the slider. Also got Brett Gardner on a low fastball on an 0-2 count. So the slider was working for Plesak. Plesak is so hard to figure out this season because, like, He's racking up wins, but he's also dealing with the no-hitters. And then he has games like this where it's like he actually kept us in the game for five innings, gave us a chance, and it absolutely gets blown up in the seventh inning. So the CSW numbers aren't great on the slider. It's only 22% because he didn't get any called strikes on that pitch at all. 
It is a good whiff rate, though. Seven whiffs on 17 swings. It's good for a 41% whiff rate on that pitch. So at least he's got that going with the slider. The changeup for as far as CSW goes is actually his best pitch. Seven called strikes, five whiffs. It's good for a 50% CSW on the changeup. He actually threw the slider 32 times, the changeup 24 times, and the fastball only 24 times. So going with off-speed stuff against these Yankees, trying to keep their hitters off balance. It works a little bit, 33% CSW on the day. Frankly, it's not, for as hard hit as the poor guy was, it's not terrible on the day. They were really geared up for his fastball. The average exit velocity off his fastball was 108.2 miles per hour. That's the average exit velocity on five fastballs put in play. So they were really geared up for that fastball. And like I said, they hit two out. You can see why. All right, so that's what was going on in this one. Plesak and the bullpen. Whitgren, once again, the home runs come back to haunt Nick Whitgren. Uh, and JC Mejia trying to get some work in late in this game does not go well for him. So, uh, yeah, the Indians absolutely get dominated. Um, that's the storylines in this one. It's brutal. I do have some fun stuff to talk about, though. I'm not wrapping up yet because I did some deep, deep dive research here. And Corey Kluber, this was the first time coming back to face the Indians, got me thinking, what have other Indian starters done against us in their careers? What have some other homegrown starters done against us? Obviously, Carrasco has not pitched against us yet. Uh, Trevor Bauer hasn't pitched against us again. He might not. That's, oof, that's an ugly situation. We are not going to go there. Um, who else? Uh, Clevenger hasn't gotten an opportunity yet. So some of those recent guys, very recent guys, haven't gotten a chance to pitch against us. So I had to dig back a little deeper here. Uh, Josh Tomlin has gotten a chance to pitch against us. Uh, two games of relief in 2019. He has a six ERA against us in those two, uh, in three innings. Uh, so yeah, so who got, someone got him for a home run. I think it was Roberto Perez got him for a home run, uh, in, in those two relief outings. Those were both Atlanta wins by the way, but, um, he did strike out five over those three innings. So his strikeouts per nine against us is 15.0. Uh, that's a bit of an outlier. So that was Josh Tomlin coming back to face us in relief. Then you got to dig back even further. Uh, Justin Masterson. I know he kind of came up with uh, Boston, but let's be honest, his best years were as an Indian starter. He, he had some really good season as an Indian starter. So going against us, he only started one game against the Indians, did pitch in three games in relief against us. He was 0-1 with a 5.59 ERA, uh, gave up six runs in nine and two-thirds innings. So not really that great in numbers against us coming back to face his former team. How about Jake Westbrook, right? The ground ball pitcher, Jake Westbrook. He would only have one start against us. I think he went on to pitch for St. Louis, right? He only had one start against us, took the loss, went six innings, gave up eight hits, four runs, three earned, did have seven strikeouts, so they do like to strike us out, and uh, had a 4.5 ERA uh, facing us. So he only faced us once. All right, how about CeCe Sabathia and Cliff Lee? Cliff Lee surprisingly has not faced the Indians that many. He only faced us once. In all those years in Seattle and going to Philly, he only faced his former team, his former team that he won the AL Cy Young with. Cliff Lee only faced us once. 
took the loss, six ERA, on six innings pitch, gave up nine hits, five runs, four earned, two walks, and four strikeouts. So we really did some damage. The one time Cliff Lee got to face us. Now Sabathia. Sabathia, it was a bit of a mixed bag. He faced us 15 times. So we got some true data here to work with. Faced us 15 times. He was 4-5 and five against Cleveland facing his former team with a 4.06 ERA. So really kind of middle of the road there. He had a 1.365 whip, so not dominant there. 8.1 strikeouts per nine, so not really that dominant there. So the Indians, they actually did a decent job against their former ace, Sabathia. Again, former Cy Young winner. Then I decided to get a little historical here. So I was looking for guys that pitched either started their career with Cleveland or, um, you know, maybe pitched early in their career with Cleveland. Uh, I'm going to try to go in some kind of uh, order here. But Bartolo Colon, remember Bartolo Colon started his career in Cleveland all those years ago. Well, just like Sabathia, he faced us 15 times. He went 7-6 and six in those starts with a 4.36 ERA, an 88.2 innings pitched, had a 1.331 whip, only 5.7 strikeouts per nine. So just like Sabathia, kind of middle of the road there. Kind of not really that dominant against his former team, the team he came up with. Um, how about Sam McDowell? Sam McDowell faced the Indians mostly in relief after he left Cleveland. He was 0 for 2 with 11.57 ERA in seven innings pitched. One of those was a start. So yeah, uh, he did have a 14.1 strikeouts per nine against us. So he knew how to strike us out, but we lit him up for uh, nine earned runs in seven innings pitched against us. So uh, McDowell did not have good success facing his former team. Uh, how about Dennis Eckersley, right? Goes on to be a dominant closer. Uh, he would face us 58 times. 19 of those would be starts. Remember, he was a starter before he went to be a closer. He was 14 and 10 against us with 20 saves, um, a 3.98 ERA, a 1.35 whip. So really, you can't even say in 183 innings pitched against his former team, the Cleveland Indians, you can't even really say that Eckersley was incredibly dominant against us. Those are good numbers, but not incredibly dominant numbers against his former team. All right, how about Louis Tiant? Louis Tiant would start his career in Cleveland, go on to pitch. Uh, let's see here. Let's get you the actual numbers here. So he would pitch one, two, three, four, five, six seasons in Cleveland in the 60s, in the mid-60s. He was an all-star in 68 for the Indians. And then obviously would go on to pitch for a very long time with Boston. So he had plenty of chances to face us. And uh, Louis Tiant, scrolling back down to those opponent numbers here, uh, Louis Tiant would do really well against us. In 26 starts, he was 14-5 and five against the Indians with a 3.63 ERA and a 1.129 whip. So, uh, so far of all the former Indians pitchers or guys that came up, former Indians aces, um, Louis Tiant definitely had the best career against the Indians after his Indians career was over. Uh, let's check out Herb score. Uh, he would not have that many games, three start three games against us after he was done with Cleveland. These are very late in his career. He went one and one with a six ERA and 12 innings pitched. 
uh, had a 1583 whip. So we hit him pretty good. Uh, 11 walks and five strikeouts. So Herb Score didn't really have uh, much success coming back to face the Indians. And then my last one I looked up was Stan Kovaleski. Uh, Stan Kovaleski, who pitched for the Indians. We are going in the way back machine here, morning people. Kovaleski pitched for the Indians starting in 1916 and would go all the way through 1924. So he was on the World Series team. He would then go on to pitch for Washington for uh, three seasons and then pitch for the New York Yankees for in his final season in 28. So coming back to face his former team, Kovaleski against the Indians was 7-3 and in 11 starts, 12 games. 7-3 with a 2.92 ERA, uh, 98.2 innings pitched. He had a 1.338 whip. Obviously, the strikeouts were not the same that they were back then, what they are now. Um, so, yeah. So, I got to say, as far as ERA goes, uh, Kovaleski might have had the best success coming back and facing his former team. Uh, him and Louis Tiant probably over the course of you know, the 100-plus year history of the Cleveland franchise probably had the best success after they left Cleveland coming back and facing Cleveland. And now Corey Kluber is officially on that list. He's got himself a pretty good line there. Six innings pitched, a zero ERA against his former team, and one nice win. So there you go. That's how Corey Kluber stacks up against the other historical pitchers from the big, long history of this Cleveland franchise. So, and get used to saying that because it's not the Cleveland Indians history anymore. It is the Cleveland franchise history because it's been the Naps, it's been the Blues, it's been the Broncos, it's been the Indians, and now it'll be the Guardians. So, uh, yeah, get used to, you know, saying that. Uh, So, uh, that is your history lesson for the day. I hope you enjoyed the little trip down memory lane, remembering Stan Kovaleski and Louis Tiant and all these guys that used to pitch for Cleveland. So it was fun for me to look it all up. You know, I, I was trying to figure, like, what what data, how am I going to, you know, parse this down and figure out who I should look up? I actually ended up going with the um, baseball reference. They have the war leaders for uh, pitchers in the Cleveland franchise. Bob Feller obviously blowing the field away at 65.2 career war for Indians pitchers. Stan Kovaleski came in at second. He had 56.8 cumulative war for a former Cleveland pitcher. Uh, Sam, Mel Harder, Eddie Joss, Sam McDowell, Bob Lemon, early win, uh, Willis Hudlin, and Corey Kluber comes in tied at eighth at 32.2. Uh, so of all the most recent, CeCe Sabathia was 15th on the list. Charlie Nagy is 17th. Uh, Cologne was 18th. Uh, Carrasco actually comes in at 21st. Of all the pitchers in the in the teen era of the Indians, uh, Kluber and Carlos Carrasco uh, make this top. Carlos Carrasco just out of the top 20 um, for the Indians. So, yeah, uh, where is where is Shane Bieber? Is he on the top? Mike Clevenger came in at 41. Shane Bieber is at 47. He's in the top 50. He has got a lot of work to do to climb up and get in the ranks of Bob Feller and Stan Kovaleski. So, I hope you enjoyed this trip down memory lane on a day when, frankly, the Indians game was pretty awful from an Indian standpoint. Uh, I'm glad we had something fun to talk about on the show. 
All right, that is all my thoughts on this one. Uh, thank you to everyone who went back and checked out the um, prospect profiles on uh, Nolan Jones and George Valera. I did see that those episodes had a few extra listens, um, you know, as the week went on. So uh, thank you for everyone who went back, and I hope you I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something about some prospects and you know feel more informed going into conversations this off season when people ask you. Uh, you know, what can I expect from Nolan Jones? Now you can at least have a little bit of a background to enter into that conversation. And we're going to keep it rolling. I am going to try to find someone to do tomorrow. I think I'm going to dig a little deeper into the top 30 prospects. Maybe give you a name you haven't heard of yet. So be ready for that tomorrow. It is a one o'clock game. So get ready for some baseball pretty much right away today. Uh, it's one o'clock games the next two days. Uh, so yeah. Uh, That is all my thoughts on this one. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Hey, remember, show merch. I updated the t-shirt just a little bit, uh, blew up the logo just a little bit bigger. So remember to visit clevelandbaseballmornings.myspreadshop.com for premium t-shirts, hoodies, coffee mugs, and more for men, women, and kids. Show off your pride for Cleveland Baseball and help spread the show's name with some high-quality shirts and gear. The link is in the show notes, and it's my pinned tweet on Twitter, at Davey Barris. Again, the final from New York. It's the Yankees 8, the Indians nothing. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. We'll be back to talk Savali uh, starting uh, for the Indians in this 1 o'clock game. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game. Let me know your season-ending thoughts as we wind this thing down, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back in the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.